Jane Austen was born in the Hampshire village of Steventon in 1771, and apart from short residences in Bath and Southampton, Hampshire was where she spent most of her life. She moved to Chawton in 1809, where she spent the last eight years of her life, before moving to Winchester to be nearer her physician in the months before her death in July 1817. Jane Austen's house at Chawton is open as a museum to the public, and in 2013, Mary Guyot joined as the curator. She joins us now to tell us a bit more about the museum. Welcome, Mary. I imagine this must be a very busy time for you at the moment, so thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Could you start by telling us a little bit about your background and the history of the museum? Well, the museum is here in Chawton in Hampshire, and it occupies a house that was Jane Austen's home for the last eight years of her life, from 1809 to 1817. And it's where she lived with her sister Cassandra and her mother. And it was, in fact, the house where she wrote or revised all of her six novels. Um, the house was, it was owned by her brother, Edward, who was the richest of the family. He'd been adopted into a, a, um, another part of the family that had some wealth. And it was part of his Chawton estate, um, so he gave it to his mother and sisters to live in. And after his, after their sister Cassandra died in 1845, the house reverted back into um, estate hands. And it wasn't until the 1940s that it became a museum. It was um, purchased to be set up as a museum by somebody called T. Edward Carpenter, who was a London solicitor. And he established the museum in, in memory, in fact, of his son who'd been killed in the Second World War. So we've operated as a public museum since 1949, so um, quite a while now. We're an independent museum, so we receive no direct funding, rely on admission. So you know, we've been going quite a while. And today we receive around 40,000 visitors a year. With your job in the museum, how did you get into being a curator and, and what does your job entail in, in that respect? Um, well, I've worked in museums all of my career. Um, my undergraduate degree was as an architect. I, I originally planned to be an architect, uh, but I, I wasn't a very good designer and I widely thought, well, I'd better think about doing something else then. And I, I did some work experience at the V&A. Um, and absolutely loved it. And I like working with objects. I like working with the public. Um, you know, using the sort of design training that I'd had, but applying it in quite a different way. So, um, and I felt really home at, at home in museums as well. So that became my career path without really a second thought. Um, and I, my first job was at the V&A. And then since then, I've worked in smaller independent museums and came to Jane Austen's house in 2013, which was another very busy year. Does the job of a curator vary depending on where you are, where you're based, what museum um, you're in at the time? It does, it does. If you're working in a large museum, a curator's job is focused on collections and exhibitions primarily. Um, in a smaller museum like this one, a curator can mean a manager, and that's really what I do here. I have overall responsibility for managing the museum. Um, so that means a lot of my time is spent signing off projects, internal issues really, um, and ensuring that we're meeting the standards of a charity 
and as a public museum. Um, but also ensuring that we're with the trustees, that we're taking the right strategic steps, we're developing in the right direction and that we're constantly improving things for visitors. Um, so it does vary and I, I really do like working in a small museum. I am still hands-on at times. We've just reopened to the public after a couple of months of closure and I was writing labels and I was installing the, the um, rooms and display cases last week so it can it can still be quite hands-on somewhere small so it's incredibly varied as well then with with that what you do in, on a day-to-day basis I should imagine it's yes it's very varied and I think that's what a lot of curators and people working in museums enjoy actually you you can be in researching something you can be in, in the archives researching you can be very much focused on writing a report or writing something for publication and at the same time you you know you can be talking to stewards and talking to the public as well so yeah very very varied. So in, in terms of the actual museum's collection then um, are you still looking to add items to the museum and if so how do you decide what goes into the collection? Well we're very much uh, collecting actively at the moment Um, We currently have a grant from the Heritage Lottery Fund. It's called the Collecting Cultures Grant, and it's a wonderful scheme where museums are given a sum of money, apply and are given a a sum of money to go out and buy things in the open market. So we're constantly watching auction sites and listening to what's coming up in the the big auction houses in London. and so far, we've bought some really interesting things under this scheme. We bought a, a lovely portrait of Jane Austen's niece, Anna Lefroy. We bought a long case clock, which was made very locally. And uh, the, the clockmakers were people that the Austen family are known to have bought their watches from. Um, and two years ago, we managed to buy partly through our Collecting Cultures grant and public, partly through a public appeal, we were able to buy a letter written by Cassandra Austin, Jane's sister, just days after she died. And that will be going on display this year, exactly 200 years after it was written. So yes, we're, we're, we're very active. And every museum will have a policy guiding its collections development, and that will list priorities uh, it will list its, its areas of collecting and it will list its priorities. And that's really to ensure that across the whole museum sector, uh, we are collecting um, in a complementary way so that the right object goes to the right museum and collections are quite focused. Um, and our priorities are items that are closely associated with Jane Austen or her immediate family. So that helps us define whether something is is key for purchasing. So I imagine because of that, then, um, you're constantly looking at changing what's on display in the house and I guess you need to find room to put these things in as well. Um, What other things can we expect to see in the museum other than obviously the acquisitions that you've, you've purchased recently? Well, the house itself is part of our collection we, we think of it that way it's a grade one listed building um it's often described as a cottage but i to me it's more of a modest village home and it occupies a very pretty spot in the center of the village of chawton um looking over two roads or rather a bend in the road and it's surrounded by a lovely garden and then inside the house we have 
display cases with some of these key treasures in them, and also period furnishings. So where possible, we um, dress the house according to the style of Jane Austen's time. Um, and we have some items of furniture that actually come from her family. So those are those are really star exhibits in their own right. And we have her writing table as well. Um, in our closure period that we've just, just come out of, we've just repapered two rooms with wallpapers that are based on fragments of wallpaper discovered in the house that date from Jane Austen's day. So that's been a really lovely story that people can now see um, the wallpaper that Jane would have known. I've just seen that in the news recently. It was very interesting, wasn't it? Because you actually found out that the wallpaper might have been hung the wrong way. Is that right? It was, yes. It's quite a complicated story. But the we worked with specialists in the field of historic wallpaper reconstruction and in Hamilton Western. And the fragments that they analysed, there was a very odd motif um, within those fragments that they could not make sense of. It looked like a little spider. They could not see where this, you know, what this meant. And they'd no, never seen anything like it in all their <laughs> years of looking at old wallpaper. And then suddenly the penny dropped. They realised that what this little motif was, was the foliage from a rosebud motif, but the bud was missing. So they think that the way it was printed, the, the bud should have been printed first and then the foliage on top of it. So it sort of sat, you know, the, the bud nestled within the foliage. But the, the printer had done the foliage before the bud and it was therefore ruined or, or uh, imperfect. And they think it could have been cheaper because of that, and therefore affordable. Uh, wallpaper was very expensive, so we've we've reproduced it exactly like that for the room, but we're selling um, a version with the rosebud restored. Talking about the items on display, is, is there a particular favourite item you have on display, or or just everything sort of appeal to you? <laughs> That's probably a hard question for a curator. Is it? <laughs> that is a hard question. Um, Perhaps it's the bureau in the drawing room. The drawing room is the first room that visitors come into. It's an absolutely beautiful, beautifully proportioned room. And on one side, um, rather dominating the furniture, is a beautiful bureau that was owned by um, Jane's father, George Austin, um, when they lived at Steventon Rectory, um, just a few miles away. And that was purchased for the museum. Early on, um, in the I think 1950, so right at the beginning of the museum. So, to me, it also symbolises the foundation of the museum and the vision that my predecessors had in understanding that these furnishings and these collection items were going to be so important. So, I think possibly that one. Now, this is possibly another unfair question, but would you happen to have a favourite Jane Austen novel? <laughs> um. I have a fondness for Sense and Sensibility. Um, I find that I read the novels differently now that I'm that bit older. I, I'm less driven by the plot and I find myself getting as much delight. I suppose I know the endings. That's part of it. When you reread a book, you know the endings. But I find myself absorbed by single passages or a section of dialogue in a way that I, that I don't think I did when I was younger, appreciating that subtlety 
So it's not really a favourite novel, but I find new ways of enjoying the text now, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, also, other than obviously um, Jane Austen novels, of course, do you, do you ever get time to read any other books or authors? Um, and are there any over the years that you've enjoyed particularly? Yes, I studied English A-level. That's as far as I went. But um, I do love literature. And I, the authors that I really like, I kind of like writing that is quite stark, quite cool. Um, I love George Orwell. Um, among the current generation, I really like the writing of Rachel Cuff. Funnily, the book that I'm reading at the moment, because of our fundraising appeal, Jane's Fund, we've got a number of ambassadors for the year, and one of them is Joanna Trollope. So it's the first time I've read a Joanna Trollope book, and I think it's wonderful. I'm reading The Rector's Wife, and um, the heroine is 42, like I am, and, <laughs> and I'm finding there are quite a few... Um, it touches a chord partly because of that so I've just discovered her work and um, really enjoying that that she's an incredibly popular author actually and she it's it's really nice when you stumble across somebody unexpectedly as well isn't it that, and, and knowing that they've written a lot of other novels so you've got you can go back and, and um, enjoy some reading as well Yes, I think that's the thing about fashion, isn't it? I always thought of Joanna Trollope as an author that my mother's generation read. And not at all. I find it very relevant today. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she has great wide appeal, I think, Joanna Trollope. So, yeah. Yeah, deservedly. Mm. Um, going back to Jane Austen's novels, they're obviously still incredibly popular, um, not only with our members at Calibre, but on a worldwide scale. Why do you imagine she's in- experienced such longevity? Do you think there is a reason or is just she's just stood the test of time? I think there are quite a few reasons. She is a phenomenon. And when you look at the reasons why somebody has a reputation as she does, it's not going to be anyone thing. Um, I think the essence of the books is that they're dealing with subjects that are timeless. Um, they, the way that she deals with the preoccupations across different societies with class and with wealth, the way that she looks at the games that people play within their relationships, whether those are familial relationships or romantic relationships, she was a very funny woman, and she, as you read her letters, she delighted herself with her humour. And I think you can see that as you read them, you feel like she's in the room smiling and, lo- and trying not to laugh herself. And I think that there's that presence um, and knowingness in the text that you that, that draws people in. Um, I think there's a question of the representation of female intelligence both in her own writing and in the characters and so it's a celebration and a manifestation of women's uh, wit Um, and I think also there's the film industry that it's really helped the romantic idea of Jane Austen and the Regency period and I really see the museum's role as a Dressing and representing all these interests, we we are quite a broad church, and we recognise that people come to Jane Austen from many different routes, 
and we want to embrace all of that. We we have dressing up for those. Well, most people want to dress up in the dressing up clothes that we have here. You know, there's there are very few people who don't try on a bonnet or, or one of the dresses or or um, coats. So I think that the the museum allows all of that to happen here, um, and and tries to represent all those different interests. I wonder as well if it's a, a case of um, there, there's always seems to be new writings or discoveries or, about Jane Austen and her works. And I've just read a new book recently um, which examines all of the, the novels and goes through some of the themes that, that are in there. And it's actually made me want to read them all again because I didn't see some of the themes the first time round. So I wonder if that's just it's because there's always um, uh, more things coming out and it's making you want to go back and, and explore again. I think it is. I, I, I think that when you get into something like a cultural phenomenon like Jane Austen, there it becomes um, self-perpetuating. So the more interest there is, the more interest there is. And I think that, that you know, the, there's media interest as well. We've just been stunned by the by the calls that, as the bicentenary year, we've just been stunned by the amount of interest from around the world in this small place in Hampshire. Um, and it it spirals, doesn't it? And then social media as well. People that opens up new audiences. So you know, we're we're very lucky, really. We are small. Um, we are very homely in feel, but the reach is global. It's it's quite staggering. I don't think she'll ever um, become any less popular. I think it's just it's it, there is so much to talk about with her, and particularly the you know the tragedy of her dying. Saying before really she experienced any of the the, the fame surrounding her books, really. So um, I, I think it will continue to go on and on. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Mary. Thank you so much for your time. I have to say I was lucky enough to visit the museum last year and thoroughly enjoyed the experience. So I wish you every success with all of your events um, and exhibitions there this year too. That's kind. Thank you then. Bye for now.